authors, editors, publishers, book cover designers, agents, critics, readers. A whole lot of professionals come together for a book. We are going to explore the world of books in our unique podcast show called Book Lounge. Book Lounge is brought to you by iCafe Podcasts, born with a collaboration between Tell Me Your Story and Zero Hour Entertainment. I am your host, Koral Dasgupta, all set to ask some interesting, straightforward and fun questions to our guests. Today, I am sitting with Julia Phillips. Julia is the debut author of the nationally best-selling novel, Disappearing Earth, which has been published in 21 languages and was a finalist for the National Book Award. Julia, welcome to Book Lounge. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Julia, I'm fascinated that Disappearing Earth, which is your debut novel, has been published in 21 languages. My God, how does this feel like? It's pretty spectacular. It's really a beyond a dream come true. I'm so happy about it. it. It's the most joyful thing to think of the book in other languages. It's because as it goes into other languages, it doesn't really require more work on my part, which is a real thrill. <laughs> it just shows up. So, uh, see, you have, I mean, some question that I really, really wanted to ask is you have written the original. And of course, now you have less control on translations and probably you wouldn't even know some of the languages in which it has been translated. So does that bother you in any way or you take it as a business progress and let go of the rest? I mean, uh, you obviously aren't in control of all the languages that it has been adapted to and uh, you don't know how it has been represented in other languages. What's your heart there? You know, the process of um, putting it out in the U.S. in English, I did have some measure of control over. Of course, I, I spent so long working on the text and then we spent a long time in editing and then a long time going into the publication, mm -hmm. um, many years in total and sort of fretting over every word and, and every sentence. And so after that experience, it's a relief to think of it being translated into other languages and I don't have to have control of it. Indeed, as you pointed out, I, I wouldn't, I'm not able to have any input in it because I don't know the language. That's sort of freeing to think of it um, moving into different languages and hopefully reaching different audiences. But it's not something that I need to worry about. What, whatever happens with it happens with it. It's not in my, the ball's not in my court anymore. <laughs> so uh, the appreciation for your uh, disappearing earth is all over the internet. I wanted to know from you that have you ever heard a review or any, did anybody, any reviewer, any book lover reach out to you after reading disappearing earth in a language that you don't know, but it has been translated to? Oh, that's a great question. I've had, no, I don't think they've reached out to me in a language that I don't know. I've had conversations with people in Poland and people in France about the book, which they read in Polish and French. Um, mm -hmm. But they've reached out to me in English. I've seen some things on, on Instagram and on social media in Polish and French. And uh, I try not to, I, I've learned that it's not the most helpful to me to read other people's social media posts about the book that aren't directed toward me. So <laughs> I try that. That's very helpful to me that they're in a language I don't know. Um, and I try to, to keep it that way. 
Okay. I asked you this because uh, it so happened that one of my books got uh, a review in a language that I'm not aware of. And I was literally ah. carrying a printout of that and telling people oh. that, can you please read it out to me and translate it and tell me what is it? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. And did people read it and translate it and tell you what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One person was really uh, generous to give it oh. some time. And uh, that person was so nice. He actually translated it from Malayalam. Malayalam is a South Indian language. Yeah. Uh, so that person translated from Malayalam to English word by word and sent me a scan of that. Oh so my it God, that's so really wonderful. Nice. Yes, it was really nice of him. That's wonderful. So, uh, Julia, your book has Russia in a very big way. I wanted to ask you, where does your love for Russia come from? I mean, I know you study Russian literature and, and now you have written a crime novel set in East Russia. I mean, how did Russia feature inside you? Yeah, I, I came to my love for Russia in a very silly way, which is that when I was uh, 12 years old and at summer camp, I had a crush on a Russian-American camp counselor. Um, which is just the silliest possible way to, to begin learning about uh, a culture and a language and a country. But this person spoke some Russian and the language was just so exciting to me. And I completely lost touch with this person, like almost immediately, but I was just at an, an age in which I was sort of easily influenced and looking around for interests and, really fixated on that. So I, of course, love Russian literature. I am fascinated by Russian history, especially considering the relationship between US and Russia in the 20th century and through the Cold War. And I love Russian language, which I studied in university and then had the good luck of studying in Russia itself for a while. And and that was um, really an educational and fantastic experience. What you say is such an inspiration, uh, you know, because there are so many people who look for this kind of romanticism, whether it culminates <laughs> or no, is a different yeah. story altogether. But then this <laughs> looks, sounds like a beautiful, beautiful journey, which may have stopped, but then it must have had its own beautiful memories. And you have written <laughs> a book out of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Yeah, it, 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 where the book wound up is very far from where summer camp started. But... <laughs> <laughs> Of course, but then it does has some impact somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in general, and uh, this is not about disappearing Earth only, but do you think the geographic location plays an intense role in storytelling? I mean, of course it does in defining the characters and culture, but what more? Yeah, I think setting is absolutely integral to storytelling. Um, I know it was for this particular book, and I feel it is when I read other books. Um, in the same way that that the bodies that a character, you know, a body that a character is in, a character's identity or being or uh, gender, for example or race defines the experience that they have in the story because it defines the way they see the world and the way others interact with them. Mm -hmm. um, the setting that they're in, I think, profoundly shapes the way that characters see the world and, and the way um, they interact with each other. And because of that, it shapes the, the events in the story so that this 
book, for example, which was, as you said, written, uh, set in far eastern Russia on a, on a peninsula called Kamchatka, would have looked very different if it were set in Alaska or in New York City. Um, the events of the plot would not unfold in the same way. And the way that people, um, the history that people operate out of would be different. Totally. So uh, crime and abduction of two young girls. Is this a story you wanted to tell? I mean, does it, does it just stop there or there is somewhere rooted? Uh, it is somewhere rooted in something that you have seen around in reality. I mean, as an individual, are you trying to say something to the world on crimes against women and children? Yeah. So, so the book is, as you say, about um, the disappearance of these two young girls and then the investigation of that crime over a year. And I wanted to tell this story because I am fascinated with um, stories of violence, especially violence against women in certainly in media. I like to, that is um, in fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself drawn to TV shows and movies about these cases. And then I I'm also fascinated by that in the news, in these real life cases. Mm-hmm. And after a while of consuming stories like that, you begin to wonder, what is it? Why do I want to consume stories like this? What is going, like, why do I have this appetite? What is this um, feeding in me? And what leaves me wanting more of this when it is so horrific and also so scary? And so I wanted to write the book to explore that in myself. And I also wanted to write it to argue that the violence, the sort of very visible, very publicized violence against women and girls that we see in the newspaper doesn't happen in isolation, Mm. that it is connected to, uh, a range of hurts and pains and everyday harms that women and girls experience in their lives that um, can look like uh, much more subtle and are often not remarked upon, I think. Things like, you know, indignities in at the office or compromises in relationships or um, these small attitudes or uh, approaches that we address women and girls with, those create a foundation for these big, highly publicized violences. And they make, they create a culture in which such violence is possible. Um, in my experience, that is how violence works, that, that these big violences don't happen in isolation, but that they're very connected mm-hmm. to our everyday behavior. And so I wanted to write the book, not so much to look at this one crime in isolation, but to look at a community and a culture um, that is connected to. Uh, Julia, I would like to really ask you that was writing this kind of a book, I mean, the process of writing, the time that you took in putting down everything that you had in your heart on paper, was it stressful or you are capable of detaching yourself from what you are writing 
and keeping your personal self aloof. <laughs> I definitely don't think I'm capable of keeping my personal self aloof. Um, I, there are the book because it talks about a violence and hurt and pain. And, um, there are lots of times when writing it was the content I was writing was sad or, or hurtful or, um, made my heart pound or, you know, even though these are, this is a story I'm making up and characters I'm making up just to imagine these experiences was painful. But for me, that's one of the best things about writing, especially about writing fiction, that it lets you process and digest in a way that is um, safe, the mm -hmm. painful reality of everyday living. So I think all the situations that characters encounter in this book are situations that people encounter all the time in real life. And, um, and it makes me feel lucky and happy to be able to explore those experiences in my own life or in my friends' lives or in my community's lives through fiction um, in a way that helps me better understand them or better um, appreciate and take the time to look at what's going on. True. So given that this is your first book, I mean, though you have had rich, rich engagements with the literary world before, how was the journey you had while placing yourself with a publisher? I was pretty blown away that the journey I had placing myself with a publisher was, was quite miraculous and quite um, fast. I felt like it felt like a real Cinderella experience to me. Like <laughs> all of a sudden there I was um, at, at the publisher of my dreams. It, it felt like, like a miracle to me. Um, it, I worked on this book for, I first proposed this project and started developing it in 2009 and I finished the manuscript in early 2017. So oh. it was certainly a long process. Um, and I had the enormous luck of meeting a woman who really, you know, didn't know me at all and, and um, is a very successful author. We just happened to meet by chance. And mm -hmm. she said, you know what, why don't you, whenever you're ready, let me know and I'll, I'll pass on your manuscript to my agent. So when the manuscript was ready on my end, I let her know fully expecting that she would, you know, have come to her senses by then and say, no, <laughs> I, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do this. Um, but she passed on to her agent and her agent took it a week later and, and sold it to a publisher a month later. And it was just, um, so miraculous. Um, I, I could hardly believe it. I could hardly sleep. It was so exciting. <laughs> and then my experience with the publisher themselves was really very wonderful. I felt like they, I still feel that they um, care for the book and care for me and want to do what is best for it and, and support it to become its best version. Um, and everyone there really took the time to say, let, let's, let's focus on this. Let's work hard on it. Let's um, make it into its best self. And that was wonderful. Oh, so awesome to hear that. Uh, uh, I mean, I wanted to also ask you about the 
book cover. The book mm. cover is very soothing. And, you know, when I look, looked into it and I held it, it just didn't feel like a crime fiction. It, I mean, you know, it just felt like a beautiful photograph on top. Yeah. So was it collaborative or it was something that uh, the publishers did or how did you reach the final cover? Totally. I, I love the book cover so much. Um, it was, it was the publisher coming to me with that design. I think if I had said, I don't like this, I want something else, then they would have, um, taken that into consideration and, and thought about how to best present it. And, you know, perhaps come up with other designs. But when I saw it, I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. It, you're absolutely right. It doesn't look like a crime novel, but because of that, I think it, I hope it sets up expectations for the reader um, in a way that's satisfying because I think if you expect this book to be a, a straightforward crime novel, you are going to be disappointed um, <laughs> in that it doesn't follow a lot of the conventions of the genre. It doesn't um, have, it doesn't follow a lot of those beats. And so the cover is very beautiful and a little bit strange and um, it's a little weird. And I, and I love that weirdness. And I think it speaks to um, some of the weirdness in the text itself. Yeah. I mean, I felt that the book makes you cry more Mm. than making you scared. (laughs) (laughs) That makes, that makes me happy actually. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, Julia, how finicky are you with words, punctuations, language, and sentences? I mean, people often make fun of us, the authors, saying that we are capable of losing sleep over a comma. Does that happen with you? I'm definitely, definitely finicky over uh, words, lang- language, especially punctuation, I find. I was a freelance proofreader for a long time. Uh, well, the whole time I was writing this book, I was a proofreader and I still find myself a very preoccupied with, uh, grammar and usage and punctuation. Um, that being said, I try to, especially in my early drafts, earlier drafts, uh, not even, I try not to think about language and sentences at all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I try to think about story beats and structure and kind of the big picture stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I feel more confident about the story in its broadest strokes being told the way I want it to be told, then I feel ready to look at language and phrases and words and make sure that those are really accurate and say what I want them to say too. Um, but I find that if I pay too much attention to language early on, then I get, I get messed up on the big stuff. (laughs) Yeah. We get trapped to do that only. Yes, absolutely. So how is your life or, you know, your daily schedule and what makes you happy? So right now my life, so much of my life and my daily schedule is around promoting the book still, um, which is interesting. So, so like this spring, I think I'm traveling, uh, more than half the week every week and, um, spending a lot of time in airports 
which is a nice chance to spend a lot of time reading and, you know, watching movies and and that's nice. Um, And then I find when I get home, I kind of just like crash. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm still working on, on creating a daily schedule that's sustainable for writing because writing is something that makes me really happy. I was writing a little bit yesterday and I thought how nice it is. Um, I mean, we talked before about being on in control of your writing and, and it is very joyful to work on something that's so private and so personal and just, um, you're the boss of this little world that you create and, while you're working on it, nothing else matters. That That's really, really joyful. So I love that. Lovely. So if you were given, this is the last question that I have for you, Julia. If you were given a blank paper and expected to write five words or phrases, what would you write and why would you choose them? This really makes me laugh because I, I wish I could say something very profound. Um, but honestly, I, I think I would write sort of phrases like practicing handwriting phrases that remind me of being in school. Uh, you know, if I were given a blank piece of paper and someone said, write five words or phrases, I think I would probably say, hello, and my name is Julia. and <laughs> you know, things, things like that. I am this age um, because uh, I, I wouldn't know what else to say. <laughs> totally totally accepted you know this last question is more <laughs> about i mean where is the author's mind wandering and that everybody wants to know everybody wants to know that what is the author thinking and how does that thought come into the the things that they create in their writing uh, space so uh, i'm sure my audience would love this interview julia and thank you so much for talking to us Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, audience, for listening to our show, Book Lounge, brought to you by iCafe Podcasts. Please do reach out to us with your thoughts and suggestions on hello at iCafePodcasts.com. Subscribe to www.icafepodcasts.com and you can also hear us on other audio apps. Stay tuned with us for Book Lounge. iCafe is brewing.